Pay TV providers continued losing millions of subscribers in Q4 2022. Is there a bottom? And what does Pay TV's freefall mean for sports teams' valuations and players' salaries? Listen on to learn more. this week's edition of Inside the Stream. This is Will Richmond from Video News, and that was Colin Dixon from Endscreen Media at the top, of course. Hey, Colin, how is everything going? It's doing great, Will. How about you? Uh, things are good. Had the conference last week, of course, CTV preview. So I am already hard at work on the June CTV Advertising Summit, which will be the fourth annual. So if anybody who's listening wants to talk about that, I'm all ears, ready to talk about sponsorship, speakers, sessions, et cetera, and hopefully maybe get just a little bit of downtime. So anyway, let's go ahead and get started. We have a couple of news items this week. I think you are going to lead us off. I am going to re- lead us off, Will, and uh, this is one of those stories that I really love. Um, one of the one of the themes that I thought of for this year, I think I thought was going to be big this year, was going to be that the SVOD providers would find new ways to monetize their existing content uh, because I don't think they're maximizing the revenue that they're making through their uh, their services. And that's exactly what CBS, uh, Paramount Global rather, is doing with its football rights. It's invested a lot of money in live rights to uh, UEFA Europa League football, UEFA Europea, Europa Conference League and, and CONCACAF. Uh, there, there's really been a lot of investment in football, in soccer that is, by Paramount Global. And its main outlet for the live games is uh, Paramount Plus. And uh, in fact, I was just watching a couple of uh, UEFA Conference League games uh, this morning. So what they're doing is they're creating creating a channel called CBS Sports Golazo Network, which is going to be anchored weekdays from 7 to 9 a.m. Eastern, by Morning Footy, the network's flagship morning show. And basically, they're going to be uh, rebroadcasting games on this channel and providing the channel through uh, through a, a live linear channel, which is, I think, a really great use of this content. Uh, and so they'll be rebroadcasting games there. And as I say, I think this is a great way of realizing extra revenue for the for these soccer games that they really haven't been able to do effectively, I think, before. Uh, they'll be providing select live matches plus re-airing a bunch of other uh, other games as well. And this follows on the heels of 2B. NBC worked with 2B to re-air some of the World Cup matches through 2B during that competition. So I think, as I say, great way of getting a little bit of extra revenue for these re-aired games and some and drive interest in soccer and the live soccer that they're providing through Paramount+. Plus. Yeah, that's the impression that I get is, and listeners obviously know that I am not a soccer fan at all, but that's your department. But <laughs> but, um, but I, I really agree with you about the idea of how soccer fans are being surrounded more and more by soccer content, whether it's the games, the delayed live games, delayed games, commentary. You know, if you're a soccer fan these days, you're getting a lot of great soccer content. And that 
presumably will only drive interest in the game still further, right? I think I think it absolutely will. And the problem, one of the problems, will is that there really isn't that much free soccer, quality soccer content around. You can get match recaps on YouTube, but if you want to sit, settle down and watch a game that maybe you've missed, then you know there really aren't many options. And particularly the the, the content that is in Paramount Global's Paramount Plus, there really is no other place you can get it. Uh, unless you subscribe. So this is a great way of driving interest, as you say, in these competitions, which in the end, I think, will benefit Paramount Plus as well. So this is just a just a really smart move by them. And I'm looking forward to seeing CBS Sports Galazzo Network uh, pretty soon. Uh, by the way, as a complete non-soccer fan, does Galazzo, does that word refer? Is that like a word in soccer refers to something or what is that? It is, of course, from Spanish language speakers, and it's an impressive goal, basically. So when somebody <laughs> scores a really spectacular, impressive goal, they all yell, golazo. So, uh, what, so what hit your radar? Yeah, I mean, it was hard not to hear about Hulu hitting its 15th birthday. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff that they're doing, extra content and all kinds of different things. Um, so... Hulu is 15 years old, boy, and I still remember, I hate to say it, but I remember like yesterday when Hulu was referred to as derisively as quote-unquote clown co um, by somebody who I'm not even going to mention. But um, they, I think, proved themselves many times over as something far, far more valuable than that derisive nickname that they were given and um you know you've got to absolutely give jason kyler credit for all the early success of hulu they've obviously been through iterations since he left multiple leadership teams but they're still here they're still standing as they say (laughs) they're still thriving in a lot of ways they're incredibly important to disney Uh, It remains to be seen what, of course, is going to happen with Hulu's ultimate destiny between this buy, quote-unquote, buy-sell agreement that Disney and Comcast put together, which is activated, will be activated in less than a year. Uh, There are all kinds of noises from Comcast. They're negotiating in public now about what they are interested in or not interested in. Bob Iger obviously is back new to Disney. He has to think about what role Hulu is going to play as part of Disney Plus's bundle. But um, I give him credit. I really do. I think Hulu got has been criticized repeatedly over the years, sometimes validly, sometimes not. But they're still here 15 years later, and they have about 4.5 million subscribers to Hulu Plus that are paying, what, 75 bucks a month 70 75 bucks a month now give or take um it's a great service i don't think it's as good as youtube tv but i still i still think it's very good they have a great svod service still and they've evolved their business model right Uh, hulu was hulu was free had a free tier at the beginning then subscription back and forth um i think it's pretty cool that they're 15 years old i really do i do it's it, you know, it's one of the first services, as you say, all cr- credit to Jason Kyler, yeah, all credit to him for lassoing 
corralling yeah. those broadcasters yeah. and keeping oh, yeah. them and keeping and keeping them on board over the over yeah. the long term. I yeah. will say though that the future is still a little bit cloudy for that, as you said. Very we're uh, we're not sure what's going to happen with the NBCU Disney situation. Uh, but also, they've just lost first-run NBCU content. So now they only have 50% of the broadcast catalog, uh, of the new broadcast catalog that's coming out, for that from Fox and ABC. And, uh, you know, that's a big loss. And I think they've they've had some success with the, with the originals, but they're going to need a lot more if they're going to, I think, retain their position in the market which which is pretty darn big will and you know a rough back of the envelope calculation shows them as earning about a billion in revenue every month which is pretty impressive and we think that they're still profitable although it's kind of we hard to say for sure nobody knows nobody knows nobody knows i guess but anyway uh, so a bit of a cloudy future but that's i think it shouldn't be take we shouldn't take anything away from it 15 years is an impressive achievement in this business. Right. And I'm just going to note one other thing that I think is noteworthy, is important, is drawing a contrast between Hulu and Quibi, which raised over $2 billion, was led by Jeffrey Katzenberg, did not make it to its first birthday. Literally, Quibi did not make it to its first birthday. And here's Hulu still standing, still doing well after 15 years. It is not easy to succeed in the landscape that we've all experienced in the last 10 to 15 years, as Quibi's demise amply shows, even with all the money and all the relationships in the world, you may not get even to your first birthday. Hulu's around at age 15. I think there's a lot of, there are a lot of unsung heroes in the Hulu story that, um, you know, we'll probably never know who ultimately deserves the credit for their navigating to 15 or 20 or whatever. But there are some very smart people out there who, Jason Kyler, right at the top of the list, who deserve a lot of credit for Hulu getting to age 15. All right, let's talk about the main story, Colin. You um, continue to track closely, as we all do, this melting ice cap called pay tv what are the latest numbers from q1 or q4 uh, rather from yep, q4 rather yeah so traditional tv well i think it's fair to say that it had a pretty rough year in 2022 so when i'm i'm going to sort of differentiate pretty clearly here will between traditional pay tv which is cable satellite and telco tv and the virtual MVPDs. And I know that, um, I know Bruce Leishman, our good friend Bruce, Bruce Leishman, he sort of adds those two together. Um, but I'm going to keep them pretty separate because I think they're quite, they're, they're, they've got different enough business models that it's worth separating them out and discussing them separately. So for traditional pay TV, it was pretty bad. 9.2% loss of subscribers in 2022 that's 6.9 million subscribers left Uh, so that means we fell from 73.6 million in 2021 to 66.9 million at the end of 2022 Uh, and that's that loss is a bigger loss than the previous year which was 6 million by my calculations 
And I think the, the major dynamics driving the acceleration in cyber, subscriber cancellations, I see really three main things out there. One is price increases continue to come. Uh, Comcast video customers paid 6% more in 2022, for example. $105 a month, the average Comcast customer is paying. Uh, we have talked about this a lot on the pub podcast, and that's the increasing availability of premium sports on streaming platforms. Uh, you know, we talked about MLS on Apple TV, NFL on multiple platforms, etc. And finally, the success of streaming originals such as Poker Face, Babylon, Outer Banks, etc., etc., which is really drawing people to pretty much if you want to be watching the latest best shows, you've got to have streaming. And, um, you know, that sort of helps encourage people to think about getting rid of their pay TV. So what does that leave us with penetration? Well, the penetration of traditional pay TV, that's cable, satellite and telco, has fallen from 57.7% in 2021 to 51.6% this year. And will, I think, in 2023, we're going to see the penetration fall below 50% probably for the first time in decades. So that is a pretty momentous event. So pretty bad. Um, Usually the virtual MVPDs have recouped some of those losses and they did that a little bit in 2022. It was sort of a swings and roundabouts, ups and downs, if you like. Hulu gained 200,000 subscribers to reach 4.5 million. Fubo added 323,000. Uh, to reach 1.4, but Sling lost 152,000, falling to 4.3. Basically, what we ended up with was we ended up with about 14.9 million subscribers. And uh, by the way, uh, I can't, it's really difficult to account for YouTube TV in the virtual MVPD numbers because, of course, they don't regularly tell us how many they have. Last time they told us, they said they had 5 million and they haven't reported since then. But what uh, TiVo told me was that they saw a small increase of about 2% in the number of people who say they are using the service over the last year. So maybe it's 5.1, 5.2 million right now. But anyway, overall, I estimate the industry added about 400,000 subscribers in 2022 to reach 14.9 million. Uh, So what does that mean? Well, it means that we have something like 82 million homes have access to the big bundle of TV channels through either traditional pay TV or virtual MVPDs. And that's down from 87 million in 2021. So that's that's the bottom line. The bottom line is that the big bundle is in a lot fewer homes than it was one year ago. And uh, that impacts all of the television industry, reduces revenues for everybody. Absolutely, Colin. And as I said earlier, I really think of this whole thing, pay TV and the consumption of linear TV as essentially melting icebergs. They are gigantic, were, I should say, still are gigantic multi-billion dollar businesses but they're but they're melting they're melting in front of our eyes and the 
to me, the most interesting question out of all of this is that traditionally there's been a paradigm view that they will only shrink to a certain level because sports are the firewall because sports fans have to watch live and in order to get their sports they have to subscribe to pay tv so they can get espn the regional sports networks fox or you know etc we know all the channels now as we've talked about a number of times in the past few months there is some serious turmoil going on in the sports broadcasting business the rsns are in complete turmoil we've talked about that before espn is part of disney obviously we do not know what Iger really thinks of espn he's made some very casual remarks about how they're committed to espn as we both know ceos are committed to something right up until the day that they decide they're no longer committed to something so we really have no idea how committed Bob Iger is to ESPN. Very importantly, as we've talked about many times on the podcast, we're really starting to see leakage of major sports rights into the streaming environment. We've seen deals from Amazon. Uh, we've seen YouTube TV pick up um, Sunday night football. We've seen Amazon pick up Thursday night football. We've seen Apple pick up MOS. The list goes on and on. And the issue that these sports leagues have is that they have relied on TV networks, ESPN, RSNs, et cetera, for major, major funding over the last 20 to 30 years to drive franchise values and to drive player salaries to insane levels. I think it's pretty obvious at this point that we have reached peak valuation of TV rights and they're only going in one direction and the likely backstop to all of this, to the extent that it can be called a backstop are the streaming providers, the big tech, essentially Apple, Amazon, Google, and None of us really knows how those companies are valuing, are going to value sports rights. And a lot of it, I would argue, of how they're going to value sports rights and what they're going to be willing to pay as a backstop is tied to the success of connected TV advertising. To the extent that connected TV advertising becomes more full funnel, lower funnel, as we've also talked about many times, and therefore increases the unit value of inventory during sports broadcasts, then streamers will be, you know, a viable backstop and they'll maybe not pay up at the level that RSNs and ESPN have, but they'll be a viable backstop, but they're not likely to pay more unless CTV advertising proves itself as lower funnel, full funnel really soon which is unlikely because Rome wasn't created in a day. So there are a lot of moving pieces right now in order for, in my view, sports TV rights to hold up at anything like the level that they've been at. And there's a direct correlation between sports TV rights and player salaries and franchise valuations. And I personally would argue that, you know, 
it is total jump ball right now. Total jump ball in terms of player salaries and valuations. And I think I said this last week or the week before, but if I were a player agent right now and had a relatively young client who could be potentially looking at a 10, 12, 15 year deal, I would be absolutely requiring the back half of that to be escrowed in some way, personally liable to the team owner, such that there's never any reneging on the back half of that contract, number one. And number two, if they weren't willing to do that, I wouldn't go out more than like seven years and I would take 20% more, whatever they get for doing a seven year deal on a per year basis than a 15, 10, you know, than a 10, 12, 13 year deal, because they're going to be, I think a lot of litigation six, seven, eight years from now between owners and players about the back half of those deals. So if I were an agent, I would be very careful about how I negotiated on behalf of my clients right now, because the viability of the backstop from streaming providers, big tech is nowhere near proven in what that backstop actually is going to look like. Yeah. Yeah. And the truth is that the ability to reach consumers well, streaming is, is is probably got the deepest penetration now. I think the penetration of connected TVs in in consumer households now is is eighty percent, something like that. A little bit. Well, it's going to be a hundred percent. I mean, eventually, uh, of course, of course, gonna be, of course, it's going to be a hundred and ninety percent or something like that because the average household is going to have whatever three. I mean, it's going to be a connected TV per person in a yeah. household. So yeah. if you're at a if, if the average household is two and a half people, there are going to be two and a half CTVs per household, 130 million households times two and a half is what in excess of 300, 350 million CTVs within five years, something like that. Right. Tar- right. Targetable, targetable CTVs yeah. with targetable interactive ads. But again, we don't know exactly what those ads are going to be worth. And until Google, Apple and Amazon know exactly what those targetable ads are going to be worth. The level of backstop is, I think, a question mark. Yeah, yeah. and I'm, I'm certainly not going to disagree with you there, Will. You know, one of the biggest impacts of the decline in traditional pay TV or decline of the big bundle, if, if, if you like, has been on our viewing habits. And it has caused a really radical shift over the last year. I was looking at Nielsen's The Gauge data. And if you look back at Q4 2021, uh, 28% of viewing went uh, to streaming sources. Uh, and just one year later, this is, you know, at the end of 2022, it, it's picked up 10% of total TV viewing. It's now 38%. And uh, most of that has come out of cable. It has come out of traditional TV. Uh, so yeah. the importance of streaming, it, it is now the most important source of tele TV content for most people in the US today. And uh, that's only going to exacerbate. That's only going to grow over the next few years. So, yeah. you know, um, yeah. as you say, the weather, the big, the, the dominant services in streaming will accept the value of sports in the same way that the traditional pay TV guys did. 
Well, I, I, it's it's not clear that that will be the case at all. And as you say, it will have a pretty big impact on that whole ecosystem, the ecosystem of sports. I mean, just as the traditional pay TV market has peaked and is now on the slide down, could we, could we be looking at the peak of, of live sports values? I don't know. Maybe, maybe so. I would take even money odds from anybody right now that we have reached and surpassed. We're, we're on the other side right now of peak TV valuation, of peak sports valuations. Um, anybody who's paying up at this point for, you know, a 12 year deal, a 13 year deal with pick your favorite baseball player is taking on undue risk. And I, I would just make one other comment here also, which is that, and, and I'm going to admit that I don't know exactly, I know it varies by team, how much of their revenues derive from TV versus, I don't even know what the term is, but like. Ticket sales, I guess, is really the term, you know, ticket sales in certain ticket prices, rather, in certain cities around the U.S. right now are so beyond out of control. There's insanity would not even begin to 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 describe how out of control they are. I mean, just to give an example, when I took my son to the Celtics Bucks game on Christmas Day at TD Garden. And we sat up in the highest, you know, whatever balcony, what they call it, at TD Garden. We sat like eight rows up midway in the balcony, eight rows up, not even at center court. We were kind of aligned with one of the backboards. Uh, yeah, the backboards. Um, those tickets cost, including Ticketmaster fees, those tickets cost almost $300 a person. Wow. A person that's before a hot dog at TD garden that costs like $18, a beer at TD garden, which costs like $15. We had a family of five next to us with probably three kids between the age of like eight and 15. Those kids ate, as you expect, eight to 15 year olds. They ate nonstop throughout that game. The total ticket, to the parents, I mean, five tickets at 300 bucks, you're already at 1500. They probably spent another three, 400, that three hours of watching the Celtics and bucks probably cost that family almost $2,000, $2,000 for two and a half hours of entertainment, watching Jason yeah. Tatum make 25 million bucks a year and Jalen Brown make $20 million a year. I'm sorry, Tatum makes $30 million a year. Brown makes $25 million. But they've got two guys down there making $55 million between them. And you have a family of five there spending $2,000 to watch them play for two and a half hours. If you don't think there's something wrong with that scenario, with that reality, you live in a different planet than I do. I mean, that is beyond insanity to me. Yeah. That cannot be sustained. There is no way that that can be sustained. Yeah. So anybody, any owner who's thinking, oh, we'll make up TV rights and tickets and concessions, no way. So again, we have we are on the brink of complete turmoil in the sports world, as far as I as far as I can tell. But maybe I'm missing something big. I don't know. Maybe yeah. I'm missing something. I don't know. Well, 
Well, listeners, if you think we're missing something, please post on either Will's site or my site. Let us know what you think. Uh, and we'll we'll be happy to chat about what you talk, what you bring to our attention. So, but anyway, look, I think we're just about out of time today, Will. I think we are, Colin. So we will continue next week. And uh, you know, this is I, to me anyway. This is all pretty interesting stuff. There's a lot of change going on. It, we'll it, it up is. Next week. It is. It's it's when the money supply gets as disrupted as it's getting. <laughs> oh boy, it's as you say. We're in a jumble situation, so we'll have to see what happens, and uh, it'll be fascinating to discuss it. Okay, Colin, great chatting as always, and uh, thanks everybody for listening in, and we'll see you all again next week. Inside the Stream is a production of InScreen Media and Video News, all rights reserved.